0: 831 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And it is November ninth, 2012, and we're back on the air. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Um, my father,
2: Greg Gwynn, joins me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight uh, after uh, an unintended hiatus last week. It was unintentional. And uh, unfortunate,
1: yeah, uh, and uh, unimpressive,
2: <laughs> all of those, and things. uninspiring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had, we were here. Well, you weren't here. You were absent. That might have, uh, we might have done better if you were here, but we had to call it off last week because our internet service was down, our phone service was down, provided both by the same uh, company. A coincidence. A- and uh, yeah. therefore, we couldn't get out. And so, although it was Thanksgiving night, we typically have. The virtual Bible study on Thursdays when it's Thanksgiving, yeah. but we didn't get one out last week because the service was down and we couldn't we couldn't function. So okay. Only well, for the, uh, only the second time in seven and a half years that we haven't got a broadcast online. Uh, so we apologize to those who were making a special effort to listen last and week. And
1: if you had something extra to be thankful for last week, you can keep that to yourself. That's uh, right. There may have been some rejoicing that we weren't on
2: here Maybe, maybe. And we got to go home early that night. Jeff was here. Jeff's running the board tonight. He was here last week and. And we we got to go home a little early last week because we couldn't do anything else.
1: All right. Well, we're back tonight, and we're looking forward to you being with us. And we're glad that you're joining us tonight as we look at some various listener questions. And uh, this is uh, one of uh, a top a type of program that we're doing more and more of. I think we get more and more questions.
2: Yeah, we are, and we like that. And we think it. Uh, some, sometimes we take a suggestion and make a whole program out of it. Other times we. Uh, um, just do sort of a smorgasbord like we're going to do tonight. We've got a number of questions from different listeners that we've put into a, put into the pot. They're not related necessarily, but we're going to stir it all up and see what we can come I, for out
1: one, am glad that you weren't on the air last week because I'm looking forward to talking about some of these questions.
2: All right. And so, so
1: yeah, we'll look forward to you joining in. We, we'll, we'll, we'll tease about some. We're going to talk about polygamy.
2: Polygamy. We're going to talk about elders, pastors, bishops, preachers, yeah. those titles. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the name of the Church of Christ.
3: Yeah.
2: We're going to talk about uh, uh, disagreeing with an elder. Can you serve with an elder if you disagree? We're going to talk about baptism from Mark sixteen sixteen. Yeah. So yeah. several good questions good that questions. Have come in,
1: and uh, we'll look forward to your responses to those questions. If you've got a question that you'd like to slip in tonight, we'll see if we can work it in. We're going to be pretty busy. But uh, regardless, at the very
2: least, we can put it in our stack of stuff and try it for another
1: time. That's right. So send that question to questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone tonight at 877-381-4567. And in the chat room, if you're listening to us live tonight to the right of your video window, the chat room is open. If you see yourself showing up as me there, you're not signed in. Use the chat uh, sign-in-with-chat-roll button at the bottom of the chat window, and you can sign in very easily without any personal information, and you can join in the discussion with other listeners. I see listeners from Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, and uh, other places around uh, our country and perhaps around the world tonight, and so we look forward to hearing from you in the chat room as well.
2: All right. Um, and, by the way, I sent out these questions Both last week and this week, we had to redo our uh, update from last week, just send it out a second time since we didn't get to use it last week. But if you would like to get on our update list, we send that out uh, noontime on Thursdays typically to give you an idea of our topic. You can get those uh, uh, questions, some questions that we intend to discuss uh, about the topic, the given topic that night, Get on our update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We got a good number of email responses. We had some that came in last week. We saved them. We got some more to add to the to the to the list tonight. So we've got a lot of listener response. Yeah. Yeah. We want extra more.
1: credit to the people who sent in their responses on Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah, and you know a couple of people sent in an answer last week and then sent in some more answers this week. Double some, extra credit. Yeah. And uh, we've got our uh, email window open. We, we'll be monitoring our email inbox uh, during the program, but also the fast ways to get in the chat room. The fastest way is to give us a call. On. And we have okay. someone
1: who's signed in as me and you. So I think you are.
2: You if you see yourself as me and you, you're signed in. There's, that person is signed in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's the first question. It comes from listener Lance. Lance asks. Uh, when did polygamy become unacceptable as well as concubines? King Solomon obviously had an, uh, was obviously an extreme example, but King David had multiple wives and so forth and was called a man after God's own heart, uh, bef- but it was before the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, about David, he paid some prices, not getting to build the temple because being a man of war, a baby dying because of his killing of a righteous man, and so forth. But God allowed the bloodline to lead G- uh, to Jesus even still. Was this issue, that issue of polygamy, mm-hmm. resolved during the intertestamental period? Mm-hmm. All right. So an interesting question interesting about question. polygamy. We know that it was practiced in the Old Testament times. Yes. Uh, and even by some people who had God's good favor, like King David. Yes. Uh, so w- what do we say about and that? Abraham. And Abraham. And Abraham, Abraham had wives. Jacob had two wives and. Two concubines. Right. And so, I mean, what do we say about that? Um, I I saw a response by someone else to this question online. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not going to read it all, but I thought he made a couple of good points. Uh, In the beginning, uh, it was a man and a wife, one man, one woman. Genesis 2, verse 24, Mm -hmm. for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh a man and a woman the original plan was one man one woman it seems clear there Mm -hmm. that was changed when uh, in chapter 4 verse 19 lamech took unto him two wives and it gives their names and so there's the first uh, recorded uh violation or or uh Changed uh, change to the pattern of one man, one woman, okay. uh, by the time we get to the man named Lamech. There were other examples. They weren't always happy. In fact, there are several instances in the Old Testament yeah. where polygamy turned out to be an unhappy circumstance.
1: Yeah. Jacob was one of his wives. Jacob's
2: wives, wives yep. fought with one another and, and right. great animosity between them. Remember Hannah, uh, who was the mother of Samuel. She was a... Uh, she, her husband had another wife, and there was... There was uh, a tension between them. Mm-hmm. Solomon, of course, his life turned out disastrously. Of course, he he was as as Lance said in his question. He was an extreme example. Right. Uh, a, a thousand women. Uh, he should have been smarter than that man uh, for a, a fellow who was so wise. You'd have thought yeah. he saw the danger and damage that that yeah. would do. Now, what? A, but as we said, there are men in the Old Testament who. Had multiple wives with God's favor. They they were men who were favored by God anyway. Whether he favored the multiple marriages or not, yeah. but by the yeah. t- but but by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, it's pretty clear that that was not a, uh, an understood acceptable practice. And the New Testament doesn't the New Testament doesn't ex- explicitly say thou shall not have multiple wives, but it does say things like. 1 Corinthians seven verse two. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife singular, singular and every woman have her own husband.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it, it's again, you can't find in the New Testament, "Thou shalt not have multiple wives," but you find statements like that that indicate uh, that God intended it to be one man, one woman. And and we know, and and Jesus even said that in Matthew nineteen nine that that was the plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 4 Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Correct. So, uh, Jesus, when he was questioned about marriage, referenced the initial plan of God. And yes. it seems in the New Testament that that is what is uh, definitely uh, to be practiced. Uh, and so, did it, did the issue get resolved during the intertestamental period? I I don't know. What what Lance is referring to there is the Old Testament ended, and for about four hundred about four hundred years there, between the end of the Old Testament written prophecies of the Old Testament until the beginning of the New Testament record, there's about four hundred years. Was was there some consensus, or did they come to an agreement? I I, I don't know how you'd ever comment about that. But I think we can say from the New Testament, it's clear that we are only authorized to have one man, one woman, not polygamy.
1: All right. Me and you in the chat room says polygamy was not only practiced but endorsed by God. Note that in Second Samuel 12, verse 8, God said he, that he gave David multiple wives. In Second Samuel 12, verse 8, we read, And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And uh, so is uh, this is God uh, condemning David here. Um, and uh can, can you say uh, can, or nathan de- condemning david yeah. uh, uh saying uh what god had done for him so uh the illusion here for me and you is that god would uh have supported and uh endorsed that behavior
2: yeah
1: um let's there's, some what, unno- there's some unknowns in the old testament about yeah, this yeah
2: haven't. and we don't know we don't know uh any any more about when that might have changed but i think if if a man were to come and say he wanted multiple wives today we'd have several issues to deal with one is that it's illegal uh, under our civil law uh but beyond that i don't think you can find new testament authority there's not a there's not a place you can go in the new testament that says it authorizes me to have more i, I think i could go to the new testament and say the new testament tells you to have one
1: okay think uh, all right uh me and you uh suggest that we add the word one to the text of uh, i think mark mark 10 5 through 9 that, that
2: that, that's in jesus yeah, uh, yeah. answering the question about marriage i don't we're not asking. we are not adding any words at all. We're just reading what Jesus said. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be married to his wife. Let's see let's see, let's read I've read Matthew nineteen. Let's see exactly how it's worded in Mark ten. Jeff is on the board and he put in the chat room Mark ten, five through nine. Jeff, you have it pulled up? Uh, yes, I do. Go, right, ahead, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff, read that.
1: Okay. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the men. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives... Mark, Mark 10. Mark oh. 10,
2: 5 through 9. I'm sorry. I'm the
1: wrong one. I'm sorry. You are. That's okay.
2: Yeah, let, let me read this one. Mark okay. 10, verse 5. Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart was wrote... Uh, he, Moses, wrote this precept, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, a man and his wife. Those are singular. They twain. The two shall be one flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but therefore, God has joined together; let no men put asunder. I mean, uh, we're not adding one to anything. We're just reading what Jesus said. Yeah,
1: you can't. I mean, two is one plus one. It couldn't be one plus two. That'd be three. So he didn't say that three shall be one flesh.
2: Let's look at what some of our email responders said. John in Edmund Oklahoma. John is in the chat room as well tonight. He said, "From the beginning, it was God's design for marriage to be between one man and one woman." Genesis two twenty-one through twenty-five. For whatever reason, God tolerated men having multiple relationships with women. Sarah like Sarah and Ab- uh, Abraham with Sarah and Hagar Jacob with his two wives and two concubines examples given of various kings and so forth without being able to give a definitive answer as to why God allowed it the closest comparison may be in God's tolerance toleration of divorce Jesus said Moses because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so Matthew 19:8. 8 in the same light God permitted uh, men to have multiple wives, but not from the beginning it was not so uh, and concerning the question, was it resolved during the intertestamental period? It may be that a cultural shift in the practice of one having multiple wives may have sh- slowed the practice among the Jewish people. However, the teachings of Jesus Christ brought clarity to the subject. Any references, Matthew nineteen one through nine. I have to agree with John on that.
1: All right, Chris in Atlanta says I have not really studied this too much, so if I'm off base, I look forward to being corrected. To my knowledge, God did not ever sanction multiple wives. In fact, it is condemned in Deuteronomy 17, 17, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. In fact, God gave Adam only one wife. There were some that took multiple wives, but do not see this as approved by God. In fact, it was Solomon's multiple wives that caused him to worship false gods.
2: Uh, uh, this is interesting. I've got to look up this Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy
1: 17, I think it's talking about pride. and uh, I don't Neither know that
2: shall it... he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. He's talking about rules for the kings. Uh-huh. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, yeah, uh,
3: 15.
2: Uh, he, he talks about when when you uh, 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 name a king among you. Right. And one of the things that the kings were told not to do is multiply wives. But they did. I mean, some did, and we already referenced. You know that Nathan said that God had blessed David with various yeah, wives and children. Right. right. So, and uh, at
1: verse sixteen, you shall not multiply horse. He shall not multiply horses to himself. Does that mean he couldn't have two horses? He could only have one horse. I think it is the idea of just the abundance and the 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 display that would cause the king to be lifted. Okay. Right?
2: Anthony in Columbia says multiple lives were allowed under the law of Moses, Matthew 19.8. However, Jesus' law clearly changed this, Matthew 19.5, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Uh, let's see
1: here. Uh, John asks a question in the chat room. He says this question needs to be asked. Uh, during the law of Moses, uh, As the average was the average Israelite allowed to have multiple lives, or was this limited to the kingly position? Uh, this wouldn't change the New Testament teaching, of course.
2: I, I don't know. I don't know. Can you... Um, Hey, hey, can, can you find an example of a, of a man in the Old Testament who was not a king? Who had multiple wives? Well, Abraham and Jacob. But this was not under the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses. Okay, under the law of Moses. Somebody, um, I don't yeah,
3: think. yeah,
2: yeah. Samuel's uh, father, uh, Elkanah, he had, uh, his wife Hannah yes. and and Pekinah yeah. uh, were two wives of Elkanah and uh, during the period of the time of the judges. Uh, under the uh, Mosaic Law. And that would be under the Mosaic Law. Oh, good, good recall there. Okay, uh, uh, this is from Jason in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Good to hear from you, Jason. Jason's in the chat room. There's not a passage within the New Testament that comes right out and says polygamy is a sin, but we may be able to infer from Jesus' instruction in Matthew 19:9 9, that it's unacceptable based on him saying that God originally designed for there to be one man and one woman in marriage. He doesn't speak specifically about polygamy here, but there are some helpful principles within the passage we can apply to polygamy. Also, since polygamy is illegal in our country and is not commanded by God, we must submit ourselves to authority, Romans 13. All right. All
1: right. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, it's outlawed today uh, it, it, but due to that uh, instruction. That's a good, question, a good point. Um, uh, Jim in uh, Kentucky says, God never authorized polygamy. His providing the man with a woman in Genesis 2, verse 22, demonstrates his pattern of marriage with respect to one man and one woman. When he gave Israel their laws, including including the Ten Commandments, was the prohibition against, included in the Ten Commandments? Was the prohibition against adultery? Exodus twenty, verse fourteen, that taking of another person, not your spouse, to be a partner in sex was sin. So God clearly provides an understanding that he authorized marriage as one man and one woman. However, as part of the consequences of having a king. Like all the nations, First Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, God told the people that their king would then act like the kings of the other nations. Both David and Solomon had many wives as a way of both satisfying their own desires as well as taking wives as contracts with other nations. God allowed this among the kings but not among the people.
2: I don't know if I could agree with that last the last statement, that God didn't allow it among the, the, the people. I think we already referenced one example of somebody who was not uh, a king. Uh, under the law, under the time of the law of Moses, during the period of the judges, yeah. who had multiple wives, God's, God's view of that uh,
1: in that example may not necessarily be. Uh, uh, you know, we may not know exactly how he viewed him
2: that. Yeah. But anyway, so, I think it's a uh, it's an interesting question, but I think uh, well, but it's I, a little bit moot in regards yes. to the fact that. I think the New Testament clearly says we're to have one man, and one woman. Right. Right. Okay. All okay. right. We got to move on. All right, uh, for inheritance
1: to be regulated with multiple wives, it probably was a common practice uh,
2: to have multiple wives. Okay. Okay, me and you, said.
1: And Guillermo's in the chat room. Good to have
2: Guillermo here Yeah, we haven't seen Guillermo for a while. All right. Welcome, Guillermo. And
1: uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you all during the break. Let us know your thoughts uh, when we get back, March 16, 16. Does Does it say that you have to be baptized in order to be saved? We say it does, but Lance says we're wrong. What do you think? Be ready for that discussion right after this.
0: Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you
1: remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when good brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks? Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit us soon. Come and see for yourself. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.
2: Here's some quotes worth pondering. Be cheerful and happy. The greater part of our happiness or misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. When you choose your friends, don't be shortchanged by choosing personality over character. Every day, in every way, strive to be better and do better. It's better to be defeated on principle than to win on lies. Man, I wish I'd said that.
0: Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back on the program tonight uh, as we talk about various listener questions. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Send in your questions. Even if they're not related to what we're talking about tonight, we'll be glad to entertain them in a future edition we
2: got a second question from lance and apparently he's referencing something we said on a previous show about baptism i don't know which one he has in mind but he said there's you multiple left, he says you left out part of mark 16 and what it did not say in the verse quoting jesus mark 16:16. 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned notice it does not say whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned what say you in regard to this? All right, Lance is in the chat room, I believe. He says, he
1: that is baptized, reread uh, the
2: verses. What does
1: it specify for salvation? What does it say about the unsaved?
2: Okay, I, right. I, I'm going to go real quick. I'm I assume s-
1: that's the same Lance in the chat room. Uh,
2: let me go to an answer from Aaron in Singapore. I think he nails this. Listen carefully to this answer. He says, a friend of mine used to say that Mark 16:16 16, 16 is a verse that tells you how to be saved and also how to be lost. To learn about being saved, read the first part of the verse. To learn about being lost, read the second part of the verse. The problem comes when people start trying to define how to be saved by focusing only on the part of the verse that tells you how to be lost. You might as well look at a map of Houston to learn how to get around Nashville. You're reading the wrong directions. The fact of the matter is that in the first century, there was no discussion about people who believed but didn't want to be baptized. Mm. Those people just didn't exist if a person believed jesus uh-huh. he also believed that G- what jesus said about being baptized for the remission of sins mm-hmm. and what one could, uh, and that one could not enter the kingdom without being born of water and the spirit mm-hmm. it is much it is a much later innovation to try and change the requirements for being saved by simply reversing the requirement for condemnation oh. then he's got a little another good example here. he said okay. when i lived in louisiana the state lottery used to run commercials saying something like all you have to do is buy a ticket and scratch off boxes with three matching dollar amounts but if you don't enter, you can't win.
1: Uh-huh. That was that was the commercial.
2: Though, that man. was the commercial for okay. the lottery. He says, yeah. now in my ten years there, nobody ever appeared at the lottery office claiming if you don't enter, you can't win means the same thing as entering is all you have to do to win.
3: the jack- uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, Even people who think that a lottery ticket is a good investment were clever enough to understand that those are not the same. Salvation is a race, not a lottery. But Jesus says the equivalent of if you don't enter, you can't win. If you want to know what to do to win, read the part of the verse... About winning, ah, uh, interesting. So, uh, in other words, it, it it is a a a serious twist of reason and logic to say that the last part of that verse, whoever does not believe, will be condemned. That you could twist that and say. If you believe, you won't be condemned. If you right. just believe, you won't be condemned. That would contradict what it says at the beginning of the verse. Yeah, to me, it's just so obvious that if a person didn't believe, you don't you don't even have to discuss baptism in regard to a person who's not believing. If he doesn't right. believe, he's not going to he, he's certainly not going to be baptized. Uh, he doesn't believe, he's lost. But mm-hmm. if he if he if he wants to be saved, he has to believe and be baptized. That's what the verse plainly teaches.
1: Okay. All right, Lance follows up. Uh, this is the Lance that submitted the question. Glad that you're here, Lance. Uh, Lance says, remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist baptizing him. He says it was to fulfill all
2: righteousness. Well, that's because Jesus was a sinless man. He didn't need it uh, uh, because he was a sinner, but he needed to do it to fulfill all righteousness. In, in other words, it was an instruction. Yeah, but but, but John was teaching others to repent and Mark 1, verse 4, John baptized in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. So, but Jesus was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. In his case, it was to do what was right, not because he needed to be forgiven of sins, but to do what was right. But to others who were coming to John, that he was teaching them the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So does
1: that mean, as Jesus says, that it was to fulfill all righteousness, that the people that were being baptized by John, were, it wasn't for the remission of sins? No. no, no. no they were no. being baptized for the remission of sins. Right. Lance, you might comment on that. Was John's baptism for remission of sins in Mark chapter 1, verse 4? Was it not? Uh, we'd also then, uh, if it was, we could point you to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where baptism in Christ's name is for the remission of sins as well. And so we think they might stand or fall together on
2: that. Uh, well, Lance, Lance's uh, next comment in the chat room says, Nothing wrong with baptism. We're forgiven because of Jesus, not because of baptism. Uh, we're forgiven because of Jesus. We believe that. But the way that we access the blood of Christ is by obeying the gospel plan of salvation, including baptism for the remission of sins. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. How do we access the death of Jesus and the blood that he shed for the remission of sins? In baptism. We're baptized into his death. Uh, If if you're not baptized, you're not in Christ. Uh, It's just that simple. Uh, uh, We have been planned together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Let's see. Uh, um, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead, even by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I mean, it's clear that baptism is that point at which we access the blood of Jesus. It's not an optional thing. It, and now, baptism would be completely ineffectual if Jesus had not died and shed his blood. Uh, in First Peter 3.21 Baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus hadn't died and been resurrected, you could be baptized a million times and you'd still be lost. But because he did die and was resurrected, when you're baptized, you're saved. When you're baptized for the rest of sin, you're saved. Baptism doth also now
1: save us. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Some pretty difficult uh, uh, statements to get around. Uh, We think it's very clear. John in Edmond, Oklahoma says... uh, The uh, statement, but he who does not believe will be condemned, simply reinforces the necessity of belief. If one is not truly convicted that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then obeying the command to be baptized would be futile. Obedience without faith is fruitless works. That would be works that would be uh, meritorious to to do it without faith. Uh, All obedience must be predicated on a belief or conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that his word must be followed. Consider the following comparison. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 21. But then in John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. While Matthew 7:21 says nothing about believing in Jesus Christ, it is understood based upon John 8:24 That belief is necessary. The reverse is likewise true. A person cannot rule out the necessity of doing the will of the Father, although that person may claim to believe in Jesus Christ. James wrote, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, James
2: 2, verse 28. All right. Uh, we're getting several comments uh, uh, in the chat room. Uh, Guillermo says, If Mark sixteen sixteen was the only verse dealing with baptism under the authority of Christ, then those who doubt what it says would have an argument, but so many more verses can't be ignored. And he references Acts two thirty-eight, Romans 6, Galatians 3. Uh, uh, John in the chat room says consider Naaman who was told to dip seven times in the river Jordan Uh, he had to do it Uh, also baptism is only beneficial if we believe Okay. Uh, Lance says but Lance makes a statement another statement in the the chat room that we can't agree with he says baptism we we should be baptized just like we should study God's word good to show as a good steward but not necessary for salvation Lance we've been quoting numerous passages that show that it is essential for salvation you're just ignoring the clear biblical evidence here
1: yeah uh, yeah uh, lance uh, we do appreciate your comments and uh, we hope that you'll keep them coming as we discuss uh, this uh, subject and we always like to have uh, the differing views so we can see the other side of uh, the argument uh, what what about 1 Peter 3 verse 21 lance where it says baptism doth also now save us uh, do you do you argue that baptism doesn't save us from that verse? We'd like to hear your explanation on that uh, as we con- continue the discussion. Guillermo says, "For the remission of sins in Matthew seven or Matthew twenty-six, verse twenty-eight, is the same as in, in uh, Acts uh, uh, twenty-three or Acts two, verse thirty-eight. Not because sins have already been forgiven, but in order to be to, to forgive." That is correct. Uh, Jesus shed his blood for the remission of sins and that is the same construction as Acts 2:38 that says baptism is for the remission of sins and so appreciate that.
2: Um, Real quick Chris an email says the verse Mark 16:16 16, 16, does not disprove baptism as a necessity. If it said whoever applies for a job and goes to the interview will get hired, those who do not apply and uh, and those who do not apply will not be hired. This obviously doesn't mean that the interview is necessary does not mean the interview is not necessary to get a job, but if you don't apply, you will not get an interview. Consequently, you will not get the job. Uh, that's a good – get that. Here's Chris's parallel. I don't think I read it very well, but here's what he said. Whoever applies for a job and goes to the interview will get hired, but those who do not apply will not be hired. Now, what does that tell you? Well, obviously, it's not saying that the interview is un- is unnecessary – if you apply, but if you don't apply, you're obviously not going to get the interview, and you're right. not going to get the
3: job. Right,
1: both are required, and that's so similar to what Anthony says. Anthony says uh, Jesus didn't have to say, to say, "and is not baptized." An honest and simple reading of that passage reveals that baptism and belief are required. If you don't believe, why? If you don't believe, why would you be baptized? Again, yeah, yeah you know, our souls are too important and too valuable to, to risk on on not complying with what jesus well, said he said believe I mean, with, and be baptized to be all,
2: saved with all due respect that that's just not a logical reading of that statement it's just not logical
1: lance asked a question uh i think in reference to first peter 321 where we ask him where it says baptism doth also now save us he asked is it baptism of the holy spirit or by water
2: that's clearly water because he says it's not about taking dirt off your flesh but it, the ant the act being an answer of a good conscience toward god is yep. clearly water baptism verse, beer, three. okay two.
1: all right uh lance says most of the references of baptism spoken of in the new testament was before the crucifixion just like in the lord's prayer notice he did not say to pray in his name during that i would i would disagree that most of the references in uh in the new testament to baptism i can before. read about
2: thousands of people who were baptized in the book of acts right. thousands right of baptisms recorded in the book of acts right all after the resurrection okay uh, all right uh,
1: Again, Lance says he believes in baptism, but he does not believe that baptism is required for salvation.
2: And so uh, we would true. not. I mean, that's just a wrong conclusion. That's, I mean, with all due respect, Lance, that's just a wrong conclusion. All the evidence is clear. Baptism is Acts two thirty eight. Baptism is for the remission of sins. First Peter three twenty one. Baptism doth also now save us. Acts twenty two sixteen. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. I mean. Uh, Again and again and again. Baptism washes away sins there. I mean, uh, your, your conclusion, you need to rethink that, Lance. Uh, with all due respect, you're wrong on that conclusion.
1: Quickly, we're just
2: about out of time Re- on this subject. Well, let me have get it. Mona, Mona, Mona says uh, uh, all, there are a lot of verses concerning salvation. Some of the verses shows that one needs to be baptized, including Acts 2.38. Jason said... Um, it's always interesting to me when studying this verse when someone all, that says they want to talk about what the verse does not say and what it actually instead of what it actually does say. Talk about Mark sixteen sixteen. Here's here's an illustration. He that eats and digests his food will live, but he who does not eat will die. This is worded very closely to Mark sixteen sixteen. If we were to take it exactly the way Lance is taking Mark sixteen sixteen, uh, it would say, uh, I would say the sentence uh, it says. The one who does not digest your food will... I don't, I, he didn't write that right. Um, yeah, but, but I do think his illustration is right. He that eats and digests his food will live, but he do, who does not eat will die. You don't have to consider the digesting part. If you're not eating, the digesting is not That's under true. consideration. Okay.
1: Uh, Jim in Kentucky says in Mark sixteen sixteen. The Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This verse gives us two things to understand. What a person needs to do to be saved, And what a person needs to do to be lost, to be saved, they need to believe and to be baptized. All they need to do is to be lost is simply not believe. It is illogical for one to think that the Lord needed to say of the one who refused to believe that they also needed not to be baptized, since if one does not believe, they will not go through any other commands of the Lord with respect to salvation. Thus, Jesus tells us what to do to be saved, believe and be baptized. It is men who seek to refuse the will of Jesus who add the contradiction of it does not say it does not say not to be baptized. Therefore, baptism is unnecessary. Uh, I would I would ask the question for those who disagree that baptism is uh, required for salvation. What would Jesus have had to say in Mark 16, uh, in verse 16? What would he have to say to, to convince you that baptism
2: is necessary? For or somebody? what would Peter have had to say? in Acts 238 if he meant baptism is not necessary uh, let's yeah
1: let's just let's just say for the sake of discussion Jesus didn't say that you had to be baptized there he didn't mean it in Mark 16 Let, let's restate Jesus' statement in such a way that, that it would mean you have to be baptized what would he have to say
2: i don't, know, I, don't know how, I don't know how you can make it let's an rewrite
1: that. it where it's where it says you have to be baptized how you, you can't you couldn't write it any other way it's very clear Right, well. Lance, again, we're not to, we're not wanting to be ugly, and we're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're, you're commenting. Uh,
2: we just uh, we have trouble. To, we have it. we have to disagree. We just have Absolutely. to seriously disagree. And but that's a huge issue in the religious world, and right. I'd have to say the majority of people think you don't have to be baptized when. It's clear that the New Testament teaches you do have to be baptized.
1: Michael in the chat room, and then we need to go to a break, says, I probably stand close uh, to Lance on this as well. Justification occurs at the point of saving faith, not at the water baptism. I think we may be affirming the consequent uh, uh, if we believe the baptism through the requirement of salvation. Jesus' words about being born of water for salvation may also be interpreted as being born of woman, uh, that being the, the breaking of the uh, Of the fluid, uh, the woman's fluid.
2: No, read that again. He's talking about Jesus' statement to Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus definitely wasn't talking about the water of birth. Nicodemus said, can a man enter into his mother's womb again? And Jesus said, no, I'm not even talking about that. I'm not talking about that water. Read that again. Yeah. John, John 3.
1: All right, let's read that again. Let's go to break. We're gonna have There's some more comments coming in. We'll catch a few of these on the other side, and then we'll go on, uh, hopefully, to the next of our questions. In fact, we've got time to consider continue this after the break. So get your comments in. Uh, better yet, if you'd like to comment on the phone, the number is open, the line is open, and it is toll-free, 877-381-4567. The best way for your voice to be heard. If you disagree with us, why not give us a call right now? And uh, and come on the air with us. We'd love to talk with you. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
0: After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email
2: them during this break. This is Greg Gwen with this week's Bullet Point. We have a friend who's been telling us for a long time, I'm not overweight. I'm just six inches too short. When we learned that he was scheduled for an annual physical checkup, several of us predicted the doctor would put him on a no-salt, no-sugar, no-nothing sort of diet. After the doctor's appointment, we were quick to ask, did he put you on a diet? No. What a shock. How could this be? A little prying produced a confection. The reason the doctor had not ordered a diet was because our friend had volunteered at the very beginning of the exam that he was already trying to lose weight. No need for the doctor to give diet instructions when you tell him you're already on one, right? Pretty clever, evasive action. Wouldn't you agree? Our friend is not the first one to stumble onto this method of escape. In fact, sinners have been doing it all through the ages. It is accomplished like this. If someone seeks to admonish you about a sin in your life, simply admit that you are already aware of the situation. For instance, when some brother comes to you because you are not attending the services regularly, just say, I know I ought to be doing better, even if you have no plans to improve. It will disarm any attempt to restore you, but it does keep folks off your back. After all, you already know what you should be doing, right? The point is this. You can try to evade the problem of sin in your life, but it doesn't solve anything. True repentance does. Try it. That's this week's bullet point. Think
0: about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that?
1: Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We welcome you to come and worship with us if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. Find out more about our meeting time and location at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're looking at various listener questions on the program tonight, and we're talking about baptism. Thank you to Lance for sug- suggesting this uh, question and asking us about Mark 16, verse 16, where it doesn't say he that is not baptized will not be saved. Does that, therefore, uh, uh, indicate that baptism is not
2: required for salvation? But, uh, yeah, and I think we've dealt with that pretty thoroughly. Th- Lance asked in the chat room about the thief on the cross, asked that to be addressed, and I think the other respondents in the chat room have dealt with that. Jesus was here alive in person, and he could grant the forgiveness of sins to anybody wanted under any terms. And he, he wanted. did multiple times. And he did. The thief on the, uh, We've made this point before, but I think it has to be dealt with. He forgave lots of people other than the thief on the cross. He forgave the sins of lots of people directly. When he was here to say, your sins be forgiven you, and he did that on multiple occasions. Then that's what happened. But after he's dead, and Anthony makes this note in the chat room, after he's dead, then his testament goes into effect, his will and testament. Mm-hmm. And and Anthony references Hebrews nine sixteen and seventeen. After his death, his testament is in effect. If we want the blessings he bestows now, we have to uh, uh, comply with the conditions of the will, the testament. And, and that includes baptism. And
1: in and baptism, the baptism he's instructed is also a figure of his death, burial, and resurrection in Romans chapter 6. And so prior to his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, baptism had no significance. And uh, as Anthony has said, it was uh, a different dispensation, different time people under that time had to make sacrifices in order to have their sins forgiven. Is, does that mean that we can make animal sacrifices today? Because during the Thief on the Cross time, that's what they would have been doing. Can we do that in order to be safe? Can we offer a you cow?
2: Know, uh, we've got a couple folks in the chat room. We're really glad you're there. Uh, uh, not only Lance, but also Michael is, is joining the discussion from that perspective. I, I'd like to ask, why the objection to baptism? Why wouldn't we also object to Repentance Repentance or confession. Yeah. Let's say confession. Let's take confession. Why? Because that's an overt outward act I mm-hmm. have to do. Mm-hmm. I have to confess. Mark 10, verse 10, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth. Romans confession. 10, verse 10. What did I say? Mark. I meant Romans 10. That's Romans good. 10. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. So confession is unto salvation. I have to confess. It's an outward, overt act I have to do. Uh Why would you object to baptism but not confession? Yes. I'm just asking that question. I I think they're both necessary. But I don't know why you would object to one, not the other. Uh, What is there about baptism that has for, for so long and with so many been such a controversial issue when it's clear that the New Testament teaches it? As a necessity for salvation, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In other words, you got to believe. Everybody thinks you have to believe to be saved, but Jesus said you have to believe and be baptized. They're joined They're with that conjunction connected. and. Right. You have to believe and be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In Acts 2:38, Peter said, "Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins." Yes. If if you have to repent, then you also have to be baptized. If you have to believe, you also have to be baptized. In Mark 16:16. 16, 16. If you have to repent, you also have to be baptized in Acts 2.38. I don't know how you can come to a different conclusion than that. Now, the way that
1: uh, people who agree with Lance and Michael in the chat room, the way that uh, that, that people like that will uh, read Mark 16, verse 16, they will say, He that must believe and should be baptized in order to be saved. But it doesn't read that way. They're both both equally uh, required in order to be saved, he that believes and is baptized uh just very clear 8773814567
2: and uh Lance has asked was Paul Saul or Paul ever baptized in the name of Jesus yes he was mm-hmm. we know he was baptized the the story of his conversion in Acts 9 teaches that and it was in the name of Jesus which is not a formula of words to be said but it means by the authority of he was baptized by the authority of Jesus yes he was all right uh,
1: Michael says, I, I think it was Greg who had suggested that I read uh, John 3 again, and I did. I don't find Jesus negating Nicodemus' statement, but rather simply answering his question about how a man can be born
2: again. Yeah, but it, but the, the the way that uh, Jesus responds to Nicodemus' question, Nicodemus asks, can a man enter his mother's womb and be born? Uh, when Jesus said you have to be born, of," uh, uh, verse 3, John 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? In other words, Jesus said you have to be born again. Mm-hmm. And so Nicodemus says, you mean I have to get back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about being born by your mother. Uh, effectively, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But Jesus said, verily, verily, I say the except that a man be born of water and the spirit he cannot. Enter. the 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 being born again... It, he, he's, he's telling what being born again is. Be born again of water and the Spirit. Not be born the first time and then another time. He's saying the being born again is of water and the Spirit.
1: All right, water and the Spirit in John chapter 3. And we, I think we see this being fulfilled in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Speaking of the church, that you might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We see the water and the spirit in conjunction there in the sanctification of the church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water, we believe is baptism, by the word, the instruction uh, of the spirit in order to be pleasing to God seven seven three eight one five four five
2: six yeah again we want it we, we dis, we're disagreeing with with Lance and Michael but we we want to do it in a congenial way we we think that this is a very important Bible doctrine the doctrine of baptism yeah uh, and yeah. and so we're we just we're pressing our points but please we want to do it in a loving way we're pressing our points to try and emphasize what we believe the scriptures teach Um uh,
3: uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, we're glad that uh, we're glad that we have a, a opposing view here to discuss and to look at it from both angles and to get an idea of what the scripture is really teaching here. So we're glad that to Lance and Michael and anyone else who may disagree with us is listening, whether live or recorded. And we welcome your comments uh, now, as we're live, or in the future, via an email.
2: Yeah. Okay. And the, we,
1: may have, we may have enough comments uh, generated in, in, in email form after this program to do a whole program on baptism.
2: Yeah, and we've done that before, and there's quite a bit of information in the archives hey, on and, baptism, and, but but it's a it's a it's certainly a hot button issue. I mean it if if you were going to I think if you were going to list the maybe the top 10 things that people in in the denom, in the religious denominations in the so-called Christian denominations disagree about I think you'd have to have baptism probably right at the very top. It's one of the hottest topics. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's a big issue and we understand that. Yeah. People come from different perspectives, but we're just asking everyone to just consider very carefully, the words of Jesus and the words of the inspired uh, writers of the New Testament that that put it out there. I think in plain terms,
1: and we'll make an offer to Lance or to Michael or anyone else who may be listening to this. If you'd like to come on the program, we can do, we can devote a whole program to talking about baptism, and uh, we'll give you time, uh, you know, to uh, maybe a couple of weeks if you'd like to get ready, and uh, and we'll just come on and we can have a discussion about yeah, baptism. I
2: think it'd be great. I think people'd be interested.
1: So. Yeah, and we and we would do it uh, very cordially. We've we've talked with people who have very very different views than we do and we always try to keep those views board uh, those discussion cordial and, uh, and and polite so we uh, would welcome you if you're willing my, to come Michael, on talk
2: Michael thinks that my paraphrasing of John 3 verse 3 is very liberal and probably wasn't and, and, and excuse me I, I don't I don't really typically favor paraphrasing but look at look at I want to go through that one more time we got to get this last break in and then get it one more question. we're not going to get all our questions tonight but that's fine because we've had an important discussion about baptism but here's, let's look at John 3, verse uh, uh, with Jesus talking to Nicodemus. John 3, 3, Verily I Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Nicod- Notice what Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? So when Jesus said, be born again, Nic- Nicodemus' question was, You mean I have to enter my mother's womb and be born again? like I was the first time, be born a second time, be born again, like the first time I was born from my mother's womb. That, that was his question. Now, Jesus answers, basically, it, it's clear that Jesus is saying no. Jesus is saying that's, and I'm not paraphrasing, I'm just saying when we read this next verse, we're going to see that Jesus is explaining that's not what he's talking
3: about. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Jesus answered, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So notice, he, the first time he said he had to be born again, and then he expounded on being born again when he said it is it this being born again that he was talking about didn't have anything to do with your mother, but it was to be born of water and the Spirit. Therefore, that water that is the born in in the being born again is not the water of natural birth the, the water of natural birth is when you're born the first time the water that he's talking about in verse 5 is when you're born the second time you're born again the, and mm-hmm. that water is not the water of natural childbirth that's the water that's associated with being born again and that's the water of baptism
1: all right we do have to move on if we're going to catch all of these questions but uh, good discussion and, again, appreciate uh, everyone for taking part, even those who have differing views. We are appreciative of that and uh, hope that uh, that we've all benefited from uh, this, this discussion. Again, the, the offer is open. Anyone who is listening to this program, we welcome you. If you'd like to come on and discuss baptism with us uh, in more detail if you disagree with us or if you'd like to send us your questions or comments over email, we welcome those anytime. and We welcome you to the program as well. Uh, contact us questions at collegeview.com. But I think if we're going to make make it through the remaining questions, we're probably going to need to move on. Okay. But it's been a good discussion. I, I wish we could have the discussion for the whole hour because it's been very good. Okay. All right. Good. All right. We've got two questions. Uh, we've got uh, three. Well, we've got well, we've got a lot of questions. Should we take a break or should we keep going?
2: Yeah, let's take a quick break. Let's take
1: we'll a quick break, Jeff, and then we're going to go. Th- we'll rapid fire through the last few questions. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this
0: break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. All
1: right, we're back on the program. We're going fast with the remaining questions that we have. These shouldn't take as long.
2: All right, we're going to go real quick to a, a question from Larry who wants to know. He says, uh, why does the Church of Christ use the term preacher when most other churches use the term pastor? Are you a pastor? If not, why? I'm just trying to understand why you use the term preacher instead of pastor. What's the motivation? I think they're different roles. They're different, they're different offices or different works. Uh, the pastor, uh, there, there are um, five words in the New Testament that describe the, work, the office of, a, of an elder. Uh, elder is from the Greek word presbyteros, found in Titus 1, verse 5. It's also sometimes just transliterated as presbyter, as in 1 Timothy four fourteen. Bishop is another term. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we see elders, and the term bishop is from the Greek word episkopon, is also there. So elders are bishops. Those are Mm -hmm. synonymous terms. And then uh, the word pastor is also used. uh, And in uh, uh, Acts 20, verse 17, we see that the elders were to be overseers or bishops. See, that's not the one that, that links uh, bishop and pastor. But, the, but between Acts 20:17 and Titus 1, verse 5, we see all those words being used synonymously, the same office for the elder, the overseer, the bishop, the pastor. The pastor is a shepherd, an overseer. Uh, those are all descriptives of the men... The plurality of men who meet certain qualifications, those qualifications are stated in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and and men who meet those qualifications, a plurality of them, are, are named to be the ones who oversee the work of local congregations. A preacher does not have to meet those qualifications. He might, and then he, thus he might fill both roles. Mm-hmm. Peter said that he did in 1 mm-hmm. Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. But that's not necessarily the case. A, a, certainly a man can preach who's not even a married man. But an elder, mm-hmm. according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, has to be a married man. And so it's, it's different offices. The reason we don't call the preacher a pastor is because that's not the office that he holds. And uh, to show that there are different
1: roles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 shows that these are two different roles in the church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors... And teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, those are two different roles the the evangelist and the pastor are two different roles. Uh, the way that 's used in the religious world today is that that 's a synonymous term, and that is not the way that the scriptures use the term and therefore, since we 're trying to be a church just like the one you read about in your new testament we 're trying to use the same terminology and speak about things the same way that God does, and so we use the terms that he used uh, to define and describe the roles
2: right uh, again. Uh, Acts twenty seventeen, 17, uh, and then verse 28, links the elders with the pastors, overseers. Uh, and so, again, the reason why, for instance, I'm a preacher, but I'm not an elder. I'm not a pastor. Uh, elder, the, the, the terms that go together that define that office, elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, one place the, the word is translated presbyter. Those are the New Testament terms that describe the office of an elder, and those are not the same work as a preacher. Yes,
1: Guillermo has an interesting comment. He says, Pastor is the most common word used in the religious world, so you would think that it is a word commonly used in the Bible, yet not any of the major English translations, King James, New King James, American Standard, New American Standard, and even the New International Version, ever translate in the singular the word pastor. It appears in the plural only once in Ephesians 4, verse 11. The word preacher in reference to teachers of the gospel appears three times in the New Testament. I believe the term pastors is a biblical term in referencing the work of elders.
2: Yeah, very good. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Very very good. Uh, okay. uh, and, and again, the idea of, of uh, uh, overseer uh, is, is the concept of uh, pastor. Uh, and, it's, it's, again, again, it's found in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Uh, but they were to shepherd the church of God, uh, again, from Acts 20. All so. right.
1: Me and you wants us to get on to Ramona's questions, and we can skip, I think, some of our listeners' answers on uh, this one. Let's get on to Ramona.
2: Okay. We're going we're gonna to move quickly past they're, that. They're clamoring for Ramona's questions. Okay. Ramona asked, should the church of – let me see how I put it out there. I've got a little more detail here. Should the Church of Christ drop its name to attract more people? Is the name Church of Christ negative to most people? Is it an insurmountable barrier? If the name is to be dropped, what should the church be named? Why are we called the Church of Christ? If the name should be dropped, would core values drop, or would they? Uh, what would they be in the future? Okay. All right. So, um, interesting question. All right. And let's let's just go to what some of our email respondents said chris says since
1: we can find the name of the bible i don't think we should change it just to attract people or because some have a negative attitude toward the church i think the denominational world suffers from people holding the negative view of them because of their name as well it is not a unique problem to the lord's church if we start changing things to please men then our values will suffer we ought to strive to please god rather yeah. than
2: men yeah for instance should the catholic church drop the name roman catholic church because it has a negative connotation to a lot of people Well, they should drop it, but not for that reason. That's right. In other words, they're not not about to drop the name Roman Catholic Church because there are some people who don't like that name. Uh, I I don't think it's a biblical name. Of course, Catholic just means universal. Mm -hmm. But it's a reference to an organization that's not the church to read about in the Bible. But in other words, uh, should other? I think Chris's point is, should the Lutheran Church, should the Presbyterian Church, should the Methodist Church drop those names because they have negative kinds of – nobody's talking about that. Why would we talk about changing the name because some people react negatively?
1: All right. John in Edmond, Oklahoma, says the phrase Church of Christ is not a name but a statement of ownership. Every local congregation is a local Church of Christ. We are not some other religious group or some other denomination. We are the Church of Christ because we belong to Christ. To remove Church of Christ from the identifying name, uh, that is, the, for example, the Northside Church of Christ, would de- deny our owner Jesus Christ.
2: All right. Uh, Anthony says... I think Church of Christ probably does have a negative connotation in many people's minds, but it's not the name itself that causes this. It's the doctrines that we teach or the, mistunder- or the misunderstanding of our doctrines. They aren't popular with most people. But just as I think we all agree we shouldn't change our unpopular or bib- uh, but biblical doctrines, I think we should agree we shouldn't change our name. And, of course, we call ourselves Church of Christ because it's the church that Christ built and it's a term that used specifically in the New Testament. It's used that way, and I think all of that's right, Anthony, uh, it's a biblical name. There are other biblical names. For instance, there is the name Church of God. We are that, uh, too. Let's uh, 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 see. This is from uh, Mona, who says others say the church is called the Church of God in verses. So why not call it that, or does it matter? Acts twenty twenty eight says, Watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the Church of God, which he bought with his own blood. We could use that. We could use the name Church of God. We could use the name Church of the Firstborn. There's just several names that are applied to congregations of God's people in the New Testament. Uh, And so it would become a judgment as to what Mm -hmm. specific. But we we, we could and do use various names to describe the, the church that belongs to Jesus, the church that belongs to God. Uh, those are descriptives. not They are not proper names, so to speak. As John mentioned, they are descriptives of what we are. And what, uh, uh, but if we started calling ourselves Church of God uh, just on the basis of judgment, one of the reasons why we would probably choose not to do that is we'd be confused with a denominational organization that we believe teaches and practices error. And it would be confusing, so why, why be confusing about it? All right.
1: Uh, Jason's given us a long discourse. I wish we could get to it all, but we're just about out of time. We need to get one more question in from Ramona. Okay. And, 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 and also we have a, a great one from Jim as well. Here, here's
2: Jim. Jim says, the term Church of Christ is one found in Scriptures, Romans sixteen sixteen. It says the Church of Christ salutes you. That term is thus a biblical one. It is also true that Church of God, House of God, Church of the Living God are also found in the Scriptures. If we lived in a perfect world, then each and every one of those names could be used. However, denominationalism, with all its errors, exists in our world. The Lord's Church has thus chosen a biblical term to identify ourselves as being a church which is of Jesus, belonging to Him. This name distinguishes us from those who wish to use names honoring men, Baptist, a system of religion, Methodist, or an organization of religion, Catholic, Presbyterian. None of which is found in the Scriptures. Okay. We must ask ourselves, why do we have such a name? It is to honor. Is it to honor Christ or to attract men? We seek to honor God through his son, Jesus Christ. Then we will use names and phrases found in God's word. We will call Bible things by Bible names. Besides this, it is not a name that is to attract men, but the word of God. Uh, It is not the name which is supposed to attract men, but the word of God. If we are doing what needs to be done to preach God's word, then those who desire to obey it will do so, whether or not the name attached to a building is one they find attractive or not. Finally, we have to ask the question, if we determine to change or drop the name Church of Christ because people believe it is a hindrance to attracting men, Where will this concept stop? Why not drop the preaching of repentance for remission of sins since that makes people feel guilty? Why not stop preaching that baptism is necessary for salvation since that is a hindrance to many in obeying? Why not stop teaching that a cappella singing is the only music authorized in the New Testament since many people desire to hear or play an instrument? What have you then? Denominationalism. All
1: right. Good. Uh, And Jason, again, we don't have time for your comments. do we have time to even no, get into it? No.
2: i tell you what we might do. We've got more questions in our stack. we might. We got a couple of questions we didn't get to tonight. We might add a few more and do this again next week. All right. And we, I, I think we, we tend to get a lot of interest when we do this. People like it, so we can do more of it. Okay. Send in the, your questions. Send
1: them in. And the offer still remains. If you'd like to come on in person and talk about baptism, we'd love to do it in a friendly, cordial manner. we welcome that at any time. And if you disagree with us, if you just want to send in your comments via email, we'd love to have those as well. We want to hear your thoughts and your views, and uh, we want to study with you. Well, it has been a fast and furious hour, but uh, it has been a good hour, and appreciate all of the discussion. The chat room, oh, it's gotten a workout tonight.
2: Yeah, exactly right. It really has. And we appreciate everybody who's been busy in the chat room. And right. Jeff has been
1: busy behind the controls. Jeff, we haven't uh, we haven't talked with you much tonight. We haven't had time to look up. Uh, yeah, Jeff. that's okay. Jeff, thanks for being with us tonight. And, Dad, thank you for your time.
2: Thanks, Jacob. And
1: thank you for joining us uh, with our discussion tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you, put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.